That's an easy one to find. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to look at verses 19 through 26. Acts chapter 11. What we're going to read is referencing a brand new church that had been established in Antioch. When the persecution came on the Jews in Jerusalem, those who got saved after the day of Pentecost, they began to scatter. And some of them ended up up there in Antioch in this city and established a church and started winning people to Christ. It became a very strong church, spiritual church. In chapter 13, we learn that it's the church where some godly men laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out as missionaries. So we're talking about that church as we read about it here. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but under the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians or Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Lord, bless the preaching of your word once again. You've called me to stand in the pulpit and declare, but Lord, I'm not to declare what I think, but what your word says. Help me to do just that. We know your word is quick, it's alive, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can penetrate where I can't get, where no man can get. And I pray that you would penetrate hearts today. I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. And Lord, 
again, if there's one here without Christ, that they would be willing to admit it, confess it, and come to you. Open their heart to Jesus Christ to be saved. We believe that's the most important decision a person will ever make in their life. It determines where we will spend eternity, either in heaven or in torment. Lord, speak to hearts as only you can. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you really a true Christian? And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In, in those words, we have recorded for us, and actually for all eternity, the very first use of the title of Christian in reference to the followers of Christ. They were first called Christians. A label, a title. Christians. Now, as we read this, we have to understand that the title Christians was assigned to these believers. They didn't take that name for themselves. They didn't say we're followers of Christ, so we're going to call ourselves Christians. Oh, no. This was a label, this was a title assigned to them by the unsaved. And we must understand it was not given as a compliment. This title was given to identify or label these people who had now chosen to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And these people who, as you watched them, had now renounced and turned from their former lifestyles and practices and religions, etc., and now we're sold out, if you will, to following the ways of Jesus Christ. In reality, they were viewed as what we might call fanatics, religious zealots. These were people whose lives and manner of living were now holy and righteous as they're striving to follow the teachings of Christ. This title of Christians actually was indicative of Christ ones. Ones who were imitators, if you will, of Christ. Someone I read after said this about this title, Christians. Said it was a name given by others, not taken for themselves. No doubt an implication of scorn or derision. Tacitus 
wrote at the end of the first century. He said, it was a vulgar term to call them Christians. You know, sadly, today the title of Christian has become a very generic term. It's a term that's tossed about very loosely. It's a term that is assigned to or claimed by countless multitudes who in reality come nowhere near meeting the real or biblical definition of a Christian. Many here in America think because they live in America, they're Christians. Let me remind you that the Supreme Court of the United States has already ruled in the days past that America is a Christian nation. Somebody ought to tell our president and our Senate and our House of Representatives and our governors and on down the line that America is a Christian nation. Amen. Others have this idea that because they belong to so-called Christian religion, that they're Christians. There are some who believe that just because they give a mental assent to the reality of Jesus, the fact that he was crucified, buried, resurrected, virgin born, etc. That because they believe that, they must be Christians. Can I say that before I got saved, if someone would ask me if I was a Christian, I probably would have said yes. Because I believe those very things. I've been taught in the Catholic Church those very things. But I certainly wasn't a Christian by biblical definition. There is a criteria for being a true Christian. And believing in Christ intellectually or mentally does not fit that criteria. You see, to believe mentally or intellectually those things about Christ would no more make one a Christian than believing in the reality of the Dalai Lama would make one a Buddhist. Or believing in the reality of Joseph Smith would make one a Mormon. It's not about mentally, intellectually believing. Someone said this, belonging to being a member of a Christian church or an organization that calls itself Christian no more makes one a Christian than belonging to the order of the moose makes one a moose. <laughs> or belonging to the Lions Club makes one a lion. Or belonging to the Sons of Italy makes one Italian. You see, today there are multitudes of people who like to think of themselves as Christians. They identify themselves as Christians who do not measure up to the biblical definition of what a true Christian is. Let's look here and see in our text why they call these people Christians. I think we find it here. And I think we'll see a biblical definition the biblical criteria to be a 
true Christian. Number one, a true Christian is one who has professed faith in Christ for salvation. That's nothing new to us in this room. In verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. I like that. Great number. I think there are three key things here that we find that evidence that there were present in the present in the lives of these people some things that were evidence that they were Christians. The first is that they believed the preaching of Christ. They believed in the preaching that you had to trust Christ to be saved. They heard the truth of who Jesus is. He's not just another man. He's not just a great prophet. He's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate who's now come to be the savior of mankind. They no doubt were introduced to the doctrine of the Trinity. God is we say three parts, three personalities, three persons, three. We cannot explain the triune God. We try, you know, we say it's like an egg. There's a shell, there's a yolk, there's a white, but it's all an egg. That breaks down. There are other illustrations we try to use, but none will fully explain that God is in three parts, but he's one. He's a trinity. And let me remind you, the doctrine of the trinity is throughout the Bible. It starts in Genesis. Let us make man in our image. goes all the way through Revelation. And still we have the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses who come around and they won't admit this to you unless you question them. Do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. They do not believe in a trinity. The Jehovah's Witness will tell you the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. That's true. But the Trinity is all over the Bible. By the way, the word rapture is not in the Bible either. Hmm? But it's there. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God. He's the Lamb who came to take away the sin of the world, John said. He's the one who is innocent his whole life and the one who went to the cross and died as a criminal to pay for our sins. He had to be innocent. He had to have innocent blood. 
And that blood had to be sacrificed. And he paid that price in our place. Big, big, big word, vicarious atonement. What that means is he took our place. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. This is what they heard. This is what they learned. They learned John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They heard it. They heard of one who was sent to make a way for man to be reconciled to God. They heard, go to John 3. They heard the precious truth here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world, watch this, through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They heard how God sent his Son to be the way, not a way, not another way, the only way. And they believed. They understood that Jesus was more than a martyr. Jesus was more than an historic figure, someone who lived and died. He was more than a good man. He was more than a miracle worker. They understood. He's the God-man and the Savior and the only Savior. They believed, the Bible says. What did they believe? The preaching of the word. It says there, in verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, we could say preaching the truths of the Lord Jesus, but think about this. In John 1, it tells us, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. They heard the preaching of the Word. They heard the truth, so we're, we are a bunch of dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. That, that, that do not deserve heaven and are estranged from God. You know, the Bible says unsaved people are at enmity. That means at war with God. 
That's the plight of mankind. We're sinners. We're separated from God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, same chapter, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're sinners. Go to Romans. Let me mark my place here. Romans chapter 5. I was reading the book of Romans again this week. Oh my goodness. The things you, you see there. I'm going to begin in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Time out. Who's he talking about? One man sin entered into the world. Adam. We're all descendants of Adam. The whole world, descendants of Adam. And one of the things we get as a descendant of Adam is we get sin. We're born sinners. But look what else it says. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. That's talking about the separation from God. When Adam sinned, a wall of separation came between man and God. And from that point on, man was separated from God because of sin. And it says, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses, justification. Here, the Bible establishes we're all sinners. We're separated from God. We're sinners because we all came from Adam. One man sinned and it passed on to all men. And now one has died on the cross and offer salvation to all men. They learned through the preaching of the word there was a way and only one way. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works 
lest any man should boast. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Allah. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the message they heard. That's the word. They learned there was only one way. Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Back to our text, we learn that they turned. I like that. It says in verse 21, they believed. Look up here. They accepted the truth of God's word. They believed it. They believed they were sinners. They believed Jesus came to save sinners. They believed if you called on him, you would be saved. And they turned. That word turned has the idea of Changing. They believed they needed Jesus and they turned to him. They turned to him as, I like to phrase it this way, their all-sufficient Savior. By that I mean they turned to him, Jesus and Jesus alone, Plus nothing. It's not Jesus and baptism. It's not Jesus and circumcision. It's not Jesus and church membership. It's, listen, it's not even Jesus and reading your Bible. It's not Jesus and going to church. Salvation is simply in Jesus and what he did. End of story. We have some religions that call themselves Christians, but they preach Jesus plus. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus sacraments. Jesus plus the Eucharist. Jesus plus this or plus that. Listen, as soon as you add anything, you're making it a work salvation. Amen. Amen. Salvation is a gift you either receive or reject. Amen. You can't do anything to get it. If you do, it becomes a wage. It's what the Bible says. They understood that. They understood they needed to turn to him. They understood they need to call upon him, invite him into their heart and life, receive him. John 1, 12. In 11 it says, he came unto his own, his own received and not. 12 says, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believed on his name. You see, it's not enough to know intellectually. We must receive. You might say we must make the application. I knew for many years, but I never received. 
Fact is, nobody ever told me I needed to. 18 years, my name was on the roll of the Catholic Church. Nobody in that church ever told me, you need to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. They told me go to confession. They told me take the Eucharist. They told me this, that, the next thing. You know, it's kind of sad. But I lived 18 years. Nobody ever knocked on my door. Nobody ever gave me a gospel tract. Nobody ever told me you must be born again. I've told you I saw signs on bridges. One time I saw it on a guy's bicycle. said, Jesus saves. And I'm not being sacrilegious when I say this. I thought, what does he say? Say baseball cards? Say green stamps? Some of you remember that. What does he say? But listen, they were told. And they received it. Thank God when a person hears and acknowledges and receives the truth and comes to Christ. They escape the very condemnation of sin. John 3, 18 and 36 both speak of being under the condemnation for those who don't believe. So the first thing we see about a true Christian is simply this. We can boil everything I said down to this. They're saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call it born again, you can call it regenerated, you can call it whatever you want, but they're saved. They've come to Christ and they know him. Second thing is, true Christian is one who patterns their life after Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're getting where the rubber really meets the road. You see, We come across people who say, I'm a Christian. But when we watch their life, we don't see any evidence. I'm thinking of a man right now. I pray for him to get saved. I've talked to this man I don't know how many times And I've asked him if he's saved, and he told me, oh, yeah, I'm saved. And yet I've never seen this much fruit. I mean, nothing. And I'm wondering, did he pray a prayer one time and think that that's it? Did he go forward in the church maybe and sign a card or whatever and have a false assurance? You see, a true Christian is going to strive to pattern their life after the Lord Jesus Christ. It says these people turned. They turned from their former lifestyle And they turned to Jesus. You know, that's what happened to me when I got saved. I was an unsaved guy. I thought I was a pretty nice guy. I didn't beat my wife. I didn't kick the dog. (laughs) 
I got saved. And God turned my life 180 degrees. I was headed that way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm headed this way. By the way, there's no turning back. They turned. They went from following the desires of self and of flesh to wanting to do the will of the Lord. They went from living to please themselves and their flesh to please the Lord. Reminds me of Paul over there in Galatians 2.20. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. What's he saying? I'm still alive, but I'm not living for me. He says another place, I die daily. What's he mean? He dies to himself so he can live for Jesus. They turned from their former lifestyle. I remember when I got saved how so many things changed in my lifestyle. Oh, I remember immediately the language changed. Immediately, the desire and taste for alcohol, gone. Many other things changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Ephesians tells us we're to put off the old man. These people turn to Jesus' way of living. I thought about 1 Peter 2.21 where Peter says we should walk in his steps, follow his steps. And many years ago, I picked up a little book. Actually, I was at work. I was on my lunch hour all by myself. I was working in a so-called Christian school as a maintenance man. Summertime, and uh, I was painting classrooms all by myself all day. Lunchtime came, and I went and sat down in a classroom, and I found this book. It was called In His Steps. Charles Sheldon and I I thought well I'm by myself and uh, I'll just read this at lunchtime and I read that book very interesting spoke to my heart it was about a preacher who one day said to his church right out of this text from Peter that we ought to follow in the steps of Jesus so if I remember correctly, he said, for the next two weeks, in every decision you make, I want you to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And then do it. And it tells how it revolutionized people's lives. But in reality, that's how we're supposed to live. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We're supposed to be followers of him. That's why they call them Christ ones. Because they were following him. A Christian, by biblical definition, is not just a person who claims to be saved. It's not just a person who says they know Christ. A true Christian is one who has truly turned to him and has become a follower of him. In word and in deed. I don't have time to run all these verses. 
I'm going to give them to you, and all of them speak about our walk after we're saved. Our conversation, our manner of living. Romans 6, 4. We're to walk in newness of life. Ephesians 2, 10. We're to walk in good works which God before hath ordained that we should walk in them. In Ephesians 4, 1, 4, 17, put off the old man, put on the new man. Colossians 1, 10, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, 1 John 1, 6 and 7, 1 John 2, 6. And there's many, many more. And they reference the fact that a true Christian is one who's following Christ. That don't mean we're perfect. That don't ever mean we don't slip off the trail. But it means our direction is safe. I'm not following the devil. I'm not following the world. I'm not following the flesh. I'm following Jesus. I understand we're not saved by works. The fact is this. We don't work to get saved. We work because we're saved. James says the works are evidence of our salvation. Faith without works is dead. So many today who call themselves Christians who have never really turned to the Lord. Christians in name only, Christians whose lives have never changed. There's no fruit. You say, you shouldn't judge people. I don't. I inspect fruit. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. If somebody says to me, that over there is an apple tree. Now, I don't know an apple tree from a banana tree. But I say, okay. And I think, I wonder if this is really an apple tree. Let me me watch. And if you know, I'm watching this tree and it never gets an apple on it. I'm saying, wait a minute. Something's not right here. I mean, even if it gets some withered up looking little apple, an apple tree is going to have an apple. Hey, if a Christian's really a Christian, we're going to see something. It may not be all we want to see, but it's going to show itself. And Jesus said, by their fruits, you should know. Number three, I got to hurry. Let me back up. One who displays the power of Christ in their life. You see, saved people have the power of the Lord on them. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. What do you think that hand means? I checked on it. It has a reference to power. It's where the hand power. They had the power of the Lord on them. A truly born again person will evidence the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. These people displayed that power. You see, when we come to Christ, 
We are given the power to overcome sin. Paul says in Romans 6, sin will no longer have dominion over you. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. When we do, it's by choice. And we can overcome the sin in our life. He delivers us. Jesus said, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. When a person comes to Christ, they have power to overcome sin. I'm talking about the drunkard and the druggie. I'm talking about the liar and the lascivious liver. I'm talking about the prostitute and the pedophile, the adulterer and the adulteress, the blasphemer and the boaster, the murderer and the maligner, the smoker and the swearer, even the homosexual. Well, homosexuality is a disease. Homosexuality, I was born that way. Listen, if you were born that way, you can never change. Hello? I was born with brown eyes. I can't change them. That's another subject. Jesus gives us power to overcome our sin. He gives us power to change our lives. Since I've been saved, my life has changed. But I didn't change it. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Say people evidence a change in their life. I remember going back to work and people saying, what happened to you? They didn't understand. Actually, neither did I. But things have changed. I thought about people like John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, was a drunken, wicked, sea captain, slave dealer whose mama prayed for him. And one day he came to Christ. And it turned his life 180 degrees. So much so that one day he sat down and wrote that hymn. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I thought about the maniac of Gadara. Jesus set him free and he's found instead of naked and cutting himself and all that mess, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I thought about a man named Bill Shirey. Bill Shirey was a deacon in the church Brother Jeffcoat pastored in Dover, Delaware. We met Bill and He'd actually been here to our tent meeting a couple times. He told me his testimony. They were, I guess, in midlife, maybe a little later. His wife went to church and got saved. She came around preaching the bill, leaving tracks. He didn't want to hear any of it. At that time, he was a partner in a nightclub, a bar, 
rock music, all that way. But his wife kept praying for him, witnessing to him. And one day Bill Shirey got saved. And he told me this. He said, you know, the next day I went to work. And he said, I wasn't there very long. And I told my partner, I can't do this anymore. Amen. Amen. Sold his part of the business, got away from that, went on to serve the Lord. Faithful witness, faithful deacon, faithful church member. There's been a great change since I've been born again. One final thing. A true Christian is one who perseveres through persecution and trials. It says in our text that they were persecuted, but they persevered. I'm not going to belabor the point. I don't have time, but I'm going to say this. Hebrews 12 tells us we're to run our race with patience. That's endurance. That means we can't quit. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I've known many people who have professed faith in Christ, but when the trouble came, they're gone. Don't come to church. Don't read the Bible. They don't live for Christ. The wheat and the tear, or the wheat and the uh, sower story talks about it. Sometimes people come and they hear the word and they get enamored, so to speak, for a little while. But then some trouble comes. And they're gone. I believe a true Christian. Keeps going. Can't go back. Weathers the storm. Perseveres when the trouble comes. And never, never, never quits on the Lord. I wouldn't know how to quit on God. It'd be like to quit breathing. That's what I am. That's who I am. No turning back. Hey, there's trouble. There's persecution, there's threats, it's going to cost you. Listen, we're, we're at a time in our country where it's becoming dangerous for Christians. It's starting to cost. We have folks in our church and there are Christians all across this country fighting this, this, this requirement to get this shot. And many will not back down. Many will give up a career, a pension, a cushy job. To follow Christ.
Right now, it's just the shop. But if we yield to that, what's next? What pressure is coming upon us next? See, I believe the real Christians will stand. We hear about Christians in China. where they're executed for being Christians. I can't imagine being a Christian in Afghanistan right now. But we read about them down through history. Nero persecuted Paul in the early church. And down through the ages, Christians have been persecuted and persecuted. But you know what? They, they wouldn't quit. What are you going to do when it comes to you? What are you going to do when the pressure is put on? What are you going to do when it's going to cost something? You pay the price? I think we I think we need to think about it. Real Christians. The Bible defines them. I'm not trying to be mean and tell you my definition. I'm trying to show you what the Bible says. Here's what real Christians are and do. Are you a real Christian? I told you about that man I pray for. I haven't been able to shake him from his statement that I'm a Christian. But I'm very concerned that he's going to die and not really be a Christian. Don't you need evidence? How about you? I'm not here to judge you. You ask yourself. Are you ready to die? Do you know for sure when you die, you're going to heaven? Have you really put your faith in Jesus? Father, help us today. It's sad that that term Christian is thrown around so loosely when in reality it means so much. Christ wants. Followers of Jesus Christ. Genuinely born again. People who have put all their faith, all their trust in Jesus for their salvation.
People who have God's power in their life. Power to overcome sin. Power to understand the scriptures. Power to win others to Christ. Christians who persevere. The troubles have come. The trials have come. They've weathered the storm. They've been faithful. No turning back. And we thank you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, simple question. Are you a real Christian?